This is A Lake at a Crossroads, and I'm Ingrid Thier. This is the first episode in a series of three podcasts exploring the wonders of Lake Wanaka, a vast and stunning freshwater lake nestled in the Great Southern Alps of New Zealand, and also the threats confronting the lake and the community's efforts to protect it. I was born in a time of melting, long ago. Water rolled off the peaks around my home, forming the tiny rivulets, streams and vast rivers alike, and eventually collecting in my valley, which itself had been slowly carved by a glacier. And as it walked, over many thousands of years, an abundance of life surrounded me. Vast forests, multitudes of fish, and countless birds were just a few of my companions. And after many years, humans reached my shores. I offered up the bounty of my waters to them, just like I had to the birds, fish and plants. My new neighbours came and went with the seasons. However, they ushered in an era of change, burning the forests around me and changing my well-being. And I, along with my inhabitants, adapted and we found a new normal. Yet more change was on the way with the arrival of more humans, and just as those before them, they brought new creatures and ways of life. They settled on my shores, they farmed the hills around me, and mined the surrounding valleys for precious metals. These people dramatically altered the landscape, and once again, my unique chemistry, and in turn, changed the ecosystem I cared for. Nevertheless, it is said that I remain in better health than many of my brothers and sisters. I'm not opposed to change, but there are many threats to my health and the very existence of the innumerable creatures who call me home, including humans. I am Lake Wanaka, and I am New Zealand's fourth largest lake, covering an area of 192 square kilometres, with an average depth of 300 metres. Now there's a proper introduction. As you may have guessed, that wasn't actually Lake Wanaka talking. But this lake is often described as the centerpiece of the local landscape and affects the lives of all inhabitants of the area to the point that the lake itself can be seen as another member of the community, deserving of our respect and protection. As said in its introduction, Lake Wanaka is a very large, very deep alpine lake on the South Island of New Zealand. It formed when the last Ice Age ended, over 10,000 years ago, before any human occupation of New Zealand. So, how do we know the history of the lake as our little story told it? Another another name for this study is called paleolimnology, which is, limnology is the study of lakes and fresh waters, and paleo, your listeners might be aware, refers to, like, history or prehistory. So it's looking at the prehistory of of lakes through studying the sediments. That's Mark Schallenberg, a freshwater scientist based at the University of Otago in Dunedin, New Zealand. Every year a new thin layer of sediment is added to the lake bed. It might only be a millimeter per year, so it's not like something we'll see actually happening. If you can take an undisturbed core of the lake bed sediment and you can slice it into thin slices going down, each slice is going to be older than the ones above. If you have means of dating the sediments, you can actually work out what time the certain layers that you're looking at were deposited. I call it like environmental CSI. It's sort of, uh, it's like a crime scene, but there's no crime. There's just evidence. And you're looking at, you know, little bits and pieces of evidence that um, aren't the full picture. 
but they can, with some clever analysis, they can tell you something about what the picture was like in the past and what actually happened um, before people were there to record it. The history of the lake isn't the only mystery beneath Lake Wanaka's shimmering surface. Imagine walking into a forest with the sweet scent of sap in the air, leaves rustling in the breeze, and your feet sinking into the soft, spongy moss covering the forest floor. Now lose the sap scent and leaves, but imagine that same covering of moss, bryophytes, as scientists like to call them, on the bottom of the lake, under more than 70 meters of very clear water. That water clarity that it has allows um, aquatic plants to grow to incredible depths in the lake. And the community down there, obviously they can't grow very fast because there's just the faintest amount of light there all the time. And so it's only the most slow-growing species that can, can survive down in the deep waters of these lakes. And these species generally are mosses and liverworts and um, the kinds of plants that you find in a deep, dark forest growing on the forest floor. And that's quite astonishing to have um, communities like that in a lake growing from 50 to 70 meters of depth. It's not something that you see in every lake by any means. It's quite a rare thing. If we travel even deeper, all the way down to the bottom of the lake, more wonders await. So these lakes are very, what I call, physically driven. Um, and there's some really interesting features that come out of that. And one, is, one feature is that these big rivers that flow into the head of, the, of Lake Wanaka and, and similar lakes in the South Island are cold rivers that come from often from glacial meltwater or snowpack melt. So the water is very cold and it often has a lot of sediment associated and that makes that water very dense. When this really cold water enters the lake at the river outflow to the lake, what it tends to do if the, if the lake is warmer than the river, which it most of the time is, this cold water, because it's denser, will plunge and basically follow the contour of the lake. It wants to sink below the, the less dense water. And that sinking creates these in interesting underwater channels in these lakes, which can be extremely long and deep and broad as well. Basically, these canyons that are carved into the soft lake sediment. So there's some pretty cool stuff going on in the lake that most people don't know about. Yet Lake Wanaka still has a special place in many people's hearts, including the Maori, the indigenous people of New Zealand. My name is Tania Brett. My family is of Naitahu descent, and we are local mana senua of Wanaka. And um, I'm connected through Wanaka through um, my ancestors as well. Our ancestors lived on the shores of Lake Wanaka and also up at the neck of Lake Hawea. They not only use this area as Mahinga Kai, which is like a food gathering place, but also to trade greenstone. And Wanaka's original meaning is a junction or a, a, a junction point where our, our ancestors and, and Māori used to travel through Wanaka. Philosophy for Māori, Māori believe everything is connected through whakapapa, and that includes the sea and the rivers and the lakes. Māori believe that all living things are interrelated and dependent on each other through this complex whakapapa system. So if there's something out of balance or it shifts, then it puts everything else out of balance. And so so that's where water comes in and half of it is, is if it's out of balance or something's not right, then, then the whole ecosystem's out of balance and then the whole kind of whakapapa is out of balance. Because it's so interrelated to everything, it's not just water for Māori, because the, the whakapapa line is um, not only spiritual, but there's the cos cosmology as well behind it. And then you've got the stories and, and the whakapapa. Papa. So it's 
all interrelated to each other. It, it's quite deep and meaningful for, for Māori on different levels. Even though many of us may not be lucky enough to call Wanaka home, the rare beauty of Lake Wanaka and its surroundings, as well as its ecological uniqueness, give us outsiders some good reasons to care about the lake as well. Even so, there's a lot we don't know about the lake. In Mark's words, We actually don't understand how the lakes function very well. We've been doing bits and pieces of research on the lakes over the years, but to build a real solid picture of how a complex system like a lake functions requires quite a lot of, a lot of dedicated research. This lack of knowledge about the lake's specific functions doesn't just represent new scientific mysteries waiting to be discovered, but actually has a much darker side. If we don't understand how our actions have affected the lake and will continue to affect the lake in the future, how can we hope to protect it? Here's a brief preview of episode two. Often what happens is that our special lakes and other components of the environment don't get a lot of attention until they become degraded. And then people realize, uh-oh, we've lost something really special. How can we fix it? And the fixes are usually extremely expensive and painful as well. A scientist working with a citizen science project with children discovered raw sewage being drained into the lake with consequent high levels of E. coli in one of the most favored swimming areas in the lake. So it all comes back to what do we really mean by a pristine lake? This podcast was created, edited, and produced by Ingrid Thier, Simone Langhans, and Mark Schallenberg. The music was created by Chris Selbach. Many thanks to John Darby, Mark Schallenberg, and Tanya Brett for taking the time to talk with me. This work has been made possible through the support of the University of Otago in New Zealand, Williams College in the US, and the Marie Curie Fellowship from the European Commission. Thanks for listening.